All right, welcome back to the Friday afternoon Green Rush Live. I'm Jimmy Young from Pro Cannabis Media, joined this week by my guest host, Josh Kincaid from Seattle, Washington. Josh, say hello. Hello. Good job, Josh. He does a show called The Talking Hedge. Hey, give yourself a little plug. How often do you do that? Where can people find it? Go ahead. The Talking Hedge is on your favorite cannabis, uh, on all your podcasts. So five days a week, Monday through Friday, a lot of episodes, we're everywhere. You do a show every day. Yeah, I mean, between 10 minutes and, and an hour. Wow. I mean, I thought I was nuts doing three shows a week, but uh, that's a completely different entity. But uh, I, I admire your work ethic, and uh, you've been a very nice uh, guest host so far. So let's keep it going. Let's meet our next two guests. They're both CEOs. You know, now I'm not going to compare the CEO to the other CEO, but I'm going to start with Kim Rayal from Azuka. Uh, tell us about Azuka, and I understand you're an edible company in New Mexico, and that's all I know. So tell me a little bit about you. Sure. Um, I'm a co-founder and CEO of Azuka, uh, partnered with uh, my co-founder, Ron Silver, who's a chef in New York City. So we are sort of New Mexico and New York based, and we are uh, an advanced formulations company for edibles. So what we do is we create formulations that make ingestible cannabis fast acting, great tasting, and very easy to manufacture in ingestible form. And then we license our formulations and um, provide a proprietary non-infused precursor to edibles companies to make their edibles fast, act fast acting, great tasting, and very easy to make. Cool, very good. And speaking of chefs, we've got one. We've got Chef Nikki right here. Uh, Nick, tell us a little bit about what you're up to, what you do. So my name is Chef Nikki. Um, I am from the Herbal Creative Kitchen, AKA Kitchen. I spell it K-I-T-H-C-E-N, completely intentional. Um, I get it, I get it. That's that <laughs> THC thing. Yeah, I got yeah, ESPN, man. Good stuff, all right. <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, so I'm specializing in doing uh, lots of infusions. So on the spot infusions, if somebody wants to learn how to infuse their own products for dispensaries or people creating products to kind of showcase their products to bud tenders. So say just how Azuka, say they have some terpene profiles they want to showcase and um, with their bud tenders at a certain location. So that's where I will come in and use that. So they'll just gain a little bit more knowledge about that, be able to taste other things, be able to complement it, and overall just be able to sell the product a little bit more. And as well, just doing private events and um, you know, educational events, just everything getting involved with people, getting educated about the plant and how it's infused with food, especially and in beverages, and how everybody can learn with that. Very cool. And of course, private parties, right, Chef Nikki? Yes, of course. So private parties is a big thing, um, especially with big brands, you know, just doing a lot of grand opening kind of stuff. Like I do have almost a basic food truck set up with a pizza oven smoker to do a uh, whole product launches or barbecues outside of your location and all like showcasing terpene profiles, you know, just in case we're naming our pizza, maybe a margarita pizza, say so to speak, or just, you know, going along with the themes without necessarily being completely infused all the time. But then there is the private party um, aspect about it as well, depending on the liabilities, of course. 
Tim, I, I want to ask you the next question about interstate commerce. We all know that it's not allowed technically, right? Legally, if you will. However, in the edible space, you guys have recipes, basically. Am I right? And you have a, a license that's a intellectual property that you can share with other states where they can make that same recipe in that state, correct? Correct. So our formulations are now in, I think, about 14, growing to probably 20 some states by the end of this year. We're in Canada. We're expanding in Europe. Uh, we have products in Asia and South America. So um, because of the flexibility of our formulations, we can actually ship anywhere in the world because we don't ship any active ingredient. So we put the precursors in our partner's hands and they activate it and are off to the races. So we cool. kind of have this magic um, business model and formulation kit that lets us sort of leapfrog over this interstate commerce limitation. Yeah. And I, again, Josh, I'm going to bring you in because I want to get your opinion about this. You know, we all know, we, in fact, we had a trivia question about the three counties in, in the Emerald Triangle to give away a t-shirt earlier. 80% uh, of the legacy market comes out of that Emerald Triangle inside the United States, the illegal market, if you will. That's flour going across state lines that is not detected. And yet there's a legal entity here who shares a intellectual property, a recipe for an edible. She's all over the country. Is this fair? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's fair. It's how normal business should be conducted. Uh, you know, if you're trying to become essentially a multi-state operator, if you look at any other regular business model, whether it's Pepsi or uh, Coca-Cola, they have regional facilities. So you have maybe a spot in, you know, New Mexico where everything is, is uh, made, all your secret ingredients, everything that's proprietary or your, your secret intellectual property and then distributed to your regions from there. And then your partners have the, the water and the, the general components that they add to it. So it makes sense to me. I just want to know why infused coffee isn't a thing. I mean, I'm in Seattle and infused coffee. It, I mean, K cups is if that's not real coffee, in my opinion, I, I want, I'm waiting for, that's kind of my, uh, my indicator of normalization is like when you have coffee and it's everywhere, then I think maybe that the beverage category can, you can start getting excited about it uh, until then it's, it's regional. Uh, and I think maybe, maybe coffee is kind of that, that bellwether indicator of, of beverage normalization. Uh, so hopefully infused coffee will be a thing. I'm ready for it. Now, I, I'm guessing that the, uh, the other two guests on our show are, are all for infusing all these kinds of products, all these cannabinoids and terpenes into as many different food items as they possibly can, especially at private events, Chef Nikki, right? Of course. Oh, let me ask you a question. And I, I know this, I know what the answer is, but I want you to explain it to people. We all know, and we, we talk about responsible use of cannabis. We all hear the mantra to start low and go slow, especially when you're dealing with an edible product. Because for the most part, people who have had edible experiences, there's always one bad experience that is a funny story to tell. But while you're inside that uncomfortable reaction, it is not pleasant at all. How do you as a chef at a private party screen the people you're feeding? So specifically for that, there is 
a few steps. So first of all, we are making sure that everybody knows what they're consuming and is knowledgeable about it. Say if it is a private party and there is alcohol there to be knowledgeable about that as well. Um, so we obviously don't recommend that, but um, obviously for, but for the dosing standpoint, uh, just as it is, my specialty is doing multi-course dinners. So every single course, maybe your beverage or your food course, whether it's a small bite or it's a full entree will be kind of dosed accordingly. So it'll be maybe your first course, you'll get one milligram, two milligrams, depending on what you actually state in the beginning of the, the meal. So in the beginning of the meal, I'm going around to the table, taking dosage preferences from each guest, making sure if they want, um, making sure if they want actual dosage in their meal whatsoever, if they just want CBD, low dosage, medium or high. So that way that they can kind of gauge with that. And then everything is slower. And at any point, because it is a multi-course between four to eight to 10 courses, you at any time could gain a little bit more or actually take away a little bit more. So that way you'll feel comfortable in the event. And a big thing that I also do is how we just talked about is different infusions. So every single thing in each course is also a different infusion. As you know, every type of infusion affects the body a little bit differently. So our fat will probably take a little longer for our body to metabolize, while a sugar might take a little bit longer as well. But then when we go to glucose and sucrose, and that's probably what azucas use, or I'm not saying anything like that, but just something that the body metabolizes a little bit easier. So that's why we'll get a little bit more fast acting without using actual alcohol in there. And then, um, cause alcohol would obviously secrete in the system a little bit quicker than anything else. But, uh, so alcohol different types is of sugars and different types of fats. So it's all this whole science behind it of how, how all these cannabinoids are going to affect you at a certain time throughout the experience. Yeah. And that, that's great. And that's a responsible approach to your culinary wisdom, Chef Nikki. Okay. Yeah. And thank you. you know, and you're responsible for people then the reactions. And you the worst thing that can happen is you get a newcomer who's never had any any experience at all and gets too much, gets one of those uncomfortable experiences and never wants to do it again. Right? We all want, right? Am I right? Yeah, nano, nano emulsification should should fix that though. If there's a faster onset, then you don't have to wait an hour to say, hey, should I say take this second cookie? And so with nano emulsification and the faster uptake and the quicker high uh, should, in theory, uh, um, avoid that, which is almost unfortunate that the newcomers coming up don't have that that story to tell about how they OD'd on, on edibles. But, you know, uh, that's also a good thing. <laughs> yeah, right. Kim, say, go ahead. I mean, the, also, the you know, these are great opportunities to educate, um, especially newcomers to right. edible or ingestible cannabis about the different ways that the body actually um, uh, can metabolize ingestible cannabis. So traditional edibles uh, that are not, you know, using a formulation like ours, they are metabolized by the liver, what's called first pass metabolism. And what that does is it breaks the, the distillate, usually the delta-9-THC down into something called 
11 hydroxy THC happens in your liver. And that's why traditional edibles take so long, right? It just takes a long time for your body to do that work. Um, and it also, the 11 hydroxy THC is what produces more of the traditional edibles effect of the couch lock, more sedative effect. Um, and and it, but there's other ways you can enjoy ingestible cannabis. For example, uh, our formulations, because they're absorbed in the so soft tissue, they're a hydrophilic water-seeking encapsulation of the THC molecule. Uh, when they're ingested, they're absorbed quickly and they actually uh, remain Delta-9 THC. So the consumer can experience more of a smoker's effect, like a, you know, more of a euphoric effect cool. from the THC instead of the 11-hydroxy THC of traditional edibles. So there's a great opportunity to, um, to educate consumers about this array of ways to experience cannabis. And I think that's the real key to avoiding those bad experiences that you're talking about that so many people have had with uh, edible or ingestible cannabis. It was, it was certainly bad advice from the first bud tender with my medical card I ever got. And it was an uncomfortable uh, 33 milligram experience, let's just say. It was, it, but as my life philosophy and anybody who knows me, any of my friends out there know, as long as you live to tell the story, it's okay. You know, uh, at least that's uh, I feel. Uh, how important is quality control, uh, Kim? And what kind, of, what kind of things do you have in place as a business to make sure that the product that comes out with your brand and your labeling in New Mexico is the same product that might be in Michigan or California or even Massachusetts? Sure. I mean, so we have standard, you know, food safety protocols for all of the stuff that we do in, in terms of our pre-infused ingredients. And then for anything uh, that is the infused ingredient, so when you add the active cannabinoid THC or CBD or any other cannabinoid, um, we have a protocol of everything is tested three times before it goes to the consumer, right? The, the extract distillate is tested once. It's typically tested a second time by a different lab. Then it goes into a finished product. Sometimes there's an inter intermediary product that is tested a third time and then finished product tested a fourth, fourth time for potency, um, heavy metals, uh, contaminants, uh, et cetera. So uh, we really believe in at least three steps along the quality control process of, of testing for all the things that the consumer cares about. So potency and cannabinoids. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Josh, I'm going to ask you, do you I, I'm going to ask you to ask a question. I'm going to give you a little time to think about it. And then I'm going to throw it to you. Go ahead, Josh. Is it, oh, is it, <laughs> question about um, if, if you guys think about cannabis cafes. You know, we mentioned earlier here on the podcast about how it's class C felony in Washington state, but I kind of view it as the window into the soul of the community. So as soon as we can find, you know, where you don't have to have private events, where you can have these, uh, these, um, these events where people can dine together and you can see that and you, you can normalize it. And it's not taboo anymore where it's a windowless establishment and there's nefarious things going on inside where you're eating food with plants and herbs you know it's it needs to just kind of be legalized and normalized um do you guys feel that cannabis cafes are that next step forward 100 oh go ahead Kim. so yep. social, social consumption is is going to happen it's already written into statute in nine states um and different states have approached it a little bit differently but uh What's gonna be key to social consumption normalization is having products, and I see it sort of falling out into two different, There's there'll be kind of smoking lounges that are akin to cigar lounges, and then there'll be non-smoking, non which I think will be uh, 
they'll have many different manifestations, right? Some of them will look more like an Erewhon, like a, you know, functional beverage type offering. Some will be like a, you know, a coffee shop. Some will look like a high-end wine bar or cocktail lounge, depending on the proprietor. But the key is to having the cannabinoids in each of those settings delivered in a way that the consumer knows exactly what they're getting. They understand what a dose of social, socially consumed cannabis is. They understand the effect it's going to have on them if they're a two milligram dose or a five or a 10 milligram dose. And that the proprietaries of the pro, proprietors of those establishments really source their, um, their cannabis ingredients in a way that allows them to deliver those predictable predictable effects. So it's a, it's a space that we're actually doing a lot of work in because our formulations are really perfectly designed to enable all of those entrepreneurs and social consumption to deliver that great customer experience. So executive oh. chef, Nikki, are you going to be an executive chef of a social consumption lounge? Is that the yeah, end? And I, and I love what Azuka is saying right now. So that's, that's awesome. That's exactly what I'm trying to do basically with, with the brand is create all of those, you know, type of regulations for that social consumption as well, because it will be, and that's how I formulate the dinners as well when people are dosing. So it's either using correct dosage, using droppers or weighing actual the oil or butter that I'm formulating perfectly. So everybody is getting the correct dosage that they're expecting. So that's like a huge thing. And that's great that you have it already <laughs> formulated and everything and ready to go. I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask Josh a question. Uh, you do a show every day with the talking edge. Okay. How much science do you have in your background to ask good questions? Because there's so much science now attached to cannabis. Zero. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I took a D waiver, honestly. It, it was the only D I got in college. So it's. I took astronomy for my science uh, at Tufts. Okay. And that yeah. had not, because I did not want my extent of science is when I, um, dismembered the frog in 10th grade for biology. That was pretty much it. I was like, okay, I'm done with science. I don't want to know. I don't care what happens after that. But just through osmosis, I listened to Kim talking about it. it there's a ton of science that mm -hmm. goes into making these products. Isn't there, Kim? You know, absolutely. But what I think is important is and what I love about what we do is demystifying the cannabis plant for my mom, right? This right. is a wonderful medicinal healing plant that's been scary, you know, pretty much all my lifetime. And um, I think that it's time to use science to actually get to the, what I call the simplicity on the other side of complexity. So that it's, you know, you talked about infused coffee. My actual, my first cannabis edibles experience was Ron's formulations before the company was launched and it was infused into coffee. And I'm like, wow, this is an amazing product. Yeah, so cool. it's really using science to make it really simple and approachable. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm amazed at what, it's what goes on with this plant since 1971, um, which is when I started uh, using cannabis as a 14-year-old ADHD guy that had no clue what ADHD was and really didn't have much of a clue about weed either. But I knew that I was getting sick on three beers and I was getting crap from my friends for not being able to hold my beer. And by the way, growing up, the drinking age was 18. And this is an adult use plus 21 product. Josh, what's your feeling about the plus 21 
for adults? And are we, are we, or should we go back to 18 and, and put everything at 18 and really stress education before they even get to 21? Josh. I think it's interesting when you look at something like Amsterdam, you go there and the locals don't really dive into it because it's not this, this thing where I think with kids are like rubber bands. And if you pull them hard enough, they're just going to spring forward and go and check it out. So, you know, when I was in high school and we would go and binge drink every Friday and Saturday night, it was, it was because we didn't have anything else to do and you weren't supposed to. And so we were going to naturally rebel oh. against that. But cannabis for me was a thing where it was like, everyone must have been smoking indica because I always attributed it to lazy stoner stereotype. It wasn't this euphoric, energetic, uplifting experience like coffee and cannabis that we have now. You know, we, I didn't know the difference between that. And so I'm kind of hesitant because I don't, I don't necessarily think someone at 18 should um, self-medicate. But I think it's way better than using opioids and anything else. I think as recreation goes, that maybe should just stay at 21 because I think 18 year olds are uh, not fully developed or, you know, emotionally or intellectually mature enough uh, to go out and, and do recreational um products like like cannabis not that it's going to hurt them but mentally they're still evolving and maturing and growing i actually think the 20 somethings that i have on my staff are more mature than i am okay and i'm 64 <laughs> okay so i just want to say that um <laughs> kid what's your feeling about 18 21 uh educating kids you know and I, it sounds like you came up through the dare era am i right oh yeah nancy reagan just say no mom right here yeah for sure. Um, so I think, uh, first and foremost, we need a lot more science, a lot more um, studies on the effect of cannabis on the adolescent and growing brain. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a medical professional, but the studies that I have seen uh, would instruct that it's contraindicated while the brain is still developing. So much like, you know, alcohol is a poison, right? It, that you don't really actually want to encourage the 18 to 24 year olds or younger to be using cannabis. So that's my concern is that we um, have good science and good education on the effect of, of this and any other um, material on the, these lovely developing human brains. Yeah. Well, you, now it explains kind of why I'm as crazy as I am. Uh, Chef Nikki, what's your feeling about uh, 1821? Is, is it a magic time or is it to me, it's, it's really the ability to understand how it affects the human body. I feel like it's definitely an exploratory time. Like it's definitely a time where somebody would be more interested in trying it, you know, so it could be open to that. But just how she was saying, just more about the education about it. And I feel like if these kids or everybody is educated around that time, they can choose to consume. And 18 doesn't really seem, I don't, you know, I don't really want to say this on the air, but I've smoked <laughs> as, a, as a young child. So I know I've been doing it since at like middle school, high school. So it's just kind of like a thing that has been going on. And I know it affects everybody a little bit differently, but right. just, you know, the science is about it. It's good to know about how it affects the brain differently. Just how alcohol, obviously, it's not we're not promoting children or promoting younger people to be drinking alcohol at a younger age because we know the effects of it so it's just that 
kind of the same exact way. As long as everybody is responsible with it and knows what they're getting into, I feel like that way we can get, come to a conclusion. All right. So obviously I have an other, I, I literally checked into my dorm room on my 18th birthday when the drinking age was 18. Okay. I've always felt I was blessed because when it turned to 21, I was 21. That being said, I know I never enjoyed alcohol. A lot of people can drink it under the table, you know, hollow leg. I mean, we, this is part of our culture here in the United States where alcoholism is an issue. Europe does not have an alcohol problem. They do not have alcohols, alcoholics as much as that we do in the United States of America. Why? Because the parents educated them at a young age and they, they managed to, uh, to show them the responsible use of alcohol. Why can't that happen with cannabis? Josh, what's your feeling about that? I think it's a cultural thing. We really like to throw stigmas. If you go to you know, Eastern Europe, you go to Russia, they don't even know. They don't even have. I'm a not term going to Russia anytime soon. I'm going to tell you that right now. Go ahead. I'm just I'm just saying like they don't have a term for alcoholism. So they would look at us and say, why do you even have a term for that? Um, we obviously there's there's issues and people have issues. But um, I just think that we we love to stereotype and stigmatize a lot of things and, and play you know, doctor, it's a pastime in the U S gotcha. Uh, Kim, you're, you're feeling about what I, the rant I just had. <laughs> and if you don't feel like answering, you'd say, you don't have to <laughs> bless you, Nick. Thanks. You know, um, <laughs> sorry. I got off on the Russia tangent and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to Russia. Either. <laughs> uh, 1821. Is it uh, the magical, is it the magical number? an age? You know, again, I, I, I would go back to the, the science and the, the still lack of science around the effect of the compounds on the developing brain. And I, I really want to know more about that. I certainly, um, you know, don't encourage my adolescent to use cannabis. Um, I know my young adult children use cannabis and they're, you know, in their mid twenties. So I think it's a different, different story, but I, I would like to have more science as a parent yep. before I, uh, you know, said it's okay for, to, to teach a, you know, well, 18 year old or 16 year old about responsible use of cannabis at that age. I just don't think we, I don't think we know enough. I'm not, you know, I don't have no Pollyanna, like the kids aren't doing it. I, right. But I think, again, I think we need to push for more science on this, on this question. Yeah. All right. Um, Chef Nikki and, and Kim, can you guys um, stick around or do you have an, another important engagement to go to? Because you're good. Kim, can you hang out? Uh, give me a sec. Because oh, she's a CEO of a major corporation. So I'm <laughs> guessing she has a very tight schedule and she was so <laughs> nice to come on on short bit. notice yeah. today. Yeah. What's that? I'm good for a bit. Yes. Awesome. And by the way, if you have to bail, just bail. Okay, no worries. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break and we're going to bring in Dr. David Kunick next. Uh, he's a, uh, a, I could call him a friend and somewhat of a regular on Green Rush Live and in pro cannabis and on pro cannabis media. We'll be back after this break. Don't go away. Hey. 
You want to grow your own plants? Check out Style Lighting's Grow Kit. It has everything you need to become an expert home grower and bring the power of the sun indoors. Style Lighting uses TCP's high-powered commercial LEDs that deliver twice the output in the market. The Grow Kit has a grow bag, a timer, chains to hang the light, and of course the best in the business lighting system by TCP. Check out stylelighting.shop for more information. Hi, my name's Tai Chang. I'm the president and founder of Aloha Green Apothecary in Hawaii. We're a vertically integrated medical cannabis company with three dispensaries, uh, one extraction lab, and one cultivation center near the North Shore of Oahu. We have over 150 employees now, and we've been working with Adaptive HR to meet our, meet our human resource needs. We're super excited to work with them as we expand, and we've grown uh, at least two, three times over the last two years. So we look forward to a good relationship with Adaptive, and uh, come visit us in Hawaii anytime. Aloha. Hi, my name is Janice O'Reilly. I'm a partner with AAF CPAs, a national CPA firm that specializes in cannabis. We're based out of Boston. We have been working with Adaptive HR for several years and have recommended them to our clients, who have all been extremely happy with their service and their responsiveness. Calling all growers with Liz Grow is supported by the Grow Kit from StyleLighting.shop. Adaptive HR, built for your cannabis business. Revolutionary Clinics, where the patient comes first. By Accounting Buds, your accountant in cannabis. And by Salient Video Surveillance Systems for today and tomorrow's security. You would think that it is. However, there's quite a bit of debate right now in the accounting industry when it relates to cannabis with this exact question. Um, I'm part of a few different networking groups that are solely accountants for cannabis companies. And there's been quite a bit of back and forth in those communities and discussion regarding whether 280E, if it went away, if the administration legalized cannabis or took it off of schedule one, what would happen? And it could go either way right now. The, the debate is it can make the accountant's life much easier. Uh, that's what a lot of the inexperienced accountants are saying right now, it seems. Whereas the accountants that have been in this industry for a while and have, and have gone through the same thing that happened with hemp a few years ago are saying that it'll actually will make lives more difficult because when hemp became declassified a while back, the accounting became more complicated. Pro 
Cannabis Media Programming is available live and on demand on our Facebook page at ProCanna Media, on Instagram at ProCannabis Media, on LinkedIn also at ProCannabis Media, on YouTube and YouTube Live on ProCannabis Media, Twitter at ProCanna Media, and on twitch.tv backslash ProCannabis Media. So like, share, and subscribe to all of our content, newsletters, and shows live or on demand. We are pro-cannabis media. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why is an endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.